0: Hello, and welcome to ISP Six-Figure Realtor Podcast. I'm Bibi Bengochea, Six-Figure Realtor, best-selling author of Realtor 90-Day Kickstart, the guide to earn six figures with the intuitive selling process. I'm your coach and founder of the intuitive selling process. This podcast will teach you to think outside the box. ISP intuitive selling process is law of attraction meets real estate bringing you an array of top-producing realtors, entrepreneurs, and successful people who think outside the box. Welcome back. Episode 5, ISP Six-Figure Realtor. So, In today's podcast, we're going to talk about the importance of having a business plan. And not only that, after you hear the guest today, I'm going to read you chapter two, which chapter two in my book is really about my story. I became what I wish I found. And today's podcast is so appropriate because what is the importance of having a plan, a business plan? How is that going to change and be a game changer for your business? Everybody wants to be earning six figures or seven figures in their business. But today's guests really, we really talk about how it is important and the struggles that anyone goes through to level up and grow their business and scale it. In addition to that, She was someone that took an SBA loan and the importance of setting everything up and thinking like a CEO. Most realtors or most people, you know, they start their business and basically they have a vision. Some people put it on paper. Some people have it in their head. But the real question here is, do you have a business plan? And if you don't have a business plan, it's okay. There's no better time than right now to listen to this podcast, get some great tips, do a little bit of research and plan out your business. This is, you know, we all have time right now, right? Time, we're all in quarantine. So what better time than now? You know, most people start the new year and say, okay, they have a new year's plan, but life is always shifting. Right now we're all shifting, right? So I always tell people, you know what, it's not the first of January that makes it a new year, it's, it's your mindset. So take this time to reset yourself, do out a business plan, and focus on what you really want. For myself, when I wrote this book, and I had to kind of outline my book and the chapters and what I was going to talk about, I initially wanted to name my book, I became what I wish I found. And I remember when I was submitting my uh, to my editor and to my book coach, because I do believe in coaching. And I had a book coach because if I didn't have one, I would have never written my book in nine weeks, I would have taken years and years and postponed it. Um, I had the other day I was having a session. uh, I do do a free minute 30-minute session. So I suggest you guys, if you need help, go ahead and book that. I give three, 30 minutes for someone out for free, 30 minutes of my time that I want to give to you to help you prosper in your business. But going back to um, the name of the book, I became what I wish I found. I wanted to name my book that. And I remember they tell me, look, listen, you're not Oprah. So <laughs> when someone's going to look for your book, they're not going to find you. So I said, okay, well, you know, I didn't I didn't put the idea away. What I do, I said, well, you know what? I'll name a chapter. I became what I wish I found. Through all the experiences I've had in my career and all the ups and downs, because you are going to have ups and downs, and really what's going to set you apart is your mindset. And today's podcast is going to give you that perspective, and not only that, hear from someone that's... I've known this person since I've been 15, okay, and I've seen this person evolve and their visions and how they've become very successful, and they're in the seven-figure range, and not only that, they've expanded through the years, and they've overcome even a recession, so this is a really great podcast today because it's really going to help you in your business, or if you're planning to start your business, it doesn't matter where you are, right? And again, it's all about taking inventory, restructuring yourself, taking time out. I always talk about having a business plan, projections, so that you can really set goals. And then, from you know, you're going to adjust your goals as you grow and you scale out your business. That's just part of life. So, Hope you enjoy this amazing podcast today. And I hope you're safe and are taking care of yourself and enjoy, you know, my chapter of my story. I became what I wish I found at the end. And make sure you take action. Make sure that if you're If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a realtor, make sure you book. I have in my website, I have in my Instagram, at bbbengochea, a link where you can go ahead and book a 30-minute coaching session, an ISP six-figure coach 30-minute session. So I hope you're doing well. Take care. Sending you love and enjoy. So for today's show, we have a very, very special guest, especially to my heart. She has over 20 years of skincare experience. She began her career as a professional makeup artist and licensed esthetician in South Florida, where she had the opportunity to train under some of the country's top dermatologists and plastic surgeons. She continued her career as a beauty industry consultant, teaching. Care and business development to dermatologists, plastic surgeons, estheticians, and spa owners in Asia, Canada, the US prior to consulting. She had the privilege to work in product formulation and training for skin clinical skin care companies such as Line by Derma, Dermalab, Neostrata, and Skin Scuticles. She's also formulated her own line of products, Skin by Synergy, which focuses on hyperpigmentation correction of aging, acne, and other skin conditions. I am so honored to welcome my dear friend, Anna Churchill, owner and founder of Synergy Face and Body, president and CEO of Synergy Management. Welcome, Anna.
1: Hi, thank you.
0: (laughs) What an introduction.
1: That was only like a quarter of it. You had to cut the rest out. I'm so old.
0: (laughs) It's it's just so amazing to have you here and be able to do this podcast with you today. And I always tell people that are listening to the podcast, it's think outside the box. And mm-hmm. you totally encumber think outside the box. And you're not a realtor. That's, that's obviously I'm bringing guests that are, you know, millionaires and successful people that are making seven figures and six figures into the show to just let realtors and buyers and sellers know that when you have a dream, you can totally go for it.
1: So Absolutely. can you tell
0: us your story?
1: Well, I was born. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, um, I went to college for a little bit and had an academic scholarship for teaching and that ran out. So I was looking for something I could do to make money while finishing college And I grew up dancing, so I was kind of used to being in the world of um, aesthetics. I think dancing and things like that, it's, you know, you're around beauty and costumes and makeup. And so I always kind of had an eye for aesthetics, and my friend suggested that I should go to cosmetology school, and I thought that would be a good way to make money while I tried to finish putting myself through college. So um, I found myself not really liking the hair part of, um, of cosmetology school. So I actually switched and went into aesthetics school and I got my aesthetics license when I was like 19. So I remember, yeah. (laughs) And I'm going to be 46 next month. So I mean, you do the math on how many years ago that was, but um, obviously, a lot's changed in the world in, in that amount of time. But particularly in my industry, there's been a lot of changes. But so I got my aesthetics license, and I actually didn't end up finishing college because I was really good at what I was doing. And I was making more money than if I was teaching. And, you know, when I was younger, I used to think about going back to school. But then over time, I just kept building and growing my career. And it it just never made sense for me to go back from the standpoint of, you know, for financial reasons. So I, um, I became a national makeup artist for a couple of really big, um, cosmetic companies. I traveled all over the country for them. And then I really wanted to put my skincare license to use and get out of retail because it's probably like my early mid twenties at that point and was getting married to my ex-husband, my first husband. And, um, you know, I just didn't want to be in retail, work the nights and weekends. So, I went and put my skincare license to use doing, um, doing treatments the for the, one of the very first places I worked was uh, at a plastic surgery practice in Boca. And so I did skin there. And then I, I, re- I remember that. I remember yeah. that. that time. I was probably like, hmm, in I was 20s. Probably, yeah, I was like in my mid twenties. And then mm-hmm. I went from doing that to working, um, for dermatologists, they had a A location in South Beach and also Aventura so I kind of helped run their aesthetics practice and because I had been a makeup artist in my early 20s I was really good at retailing and making recommendations for products so one of the skincare companies that we sold in our um, in our dermatology practices they saw that I had like really high sales and they recruited me away when the rep position became available and so basically, it was like being a drug rep, a pharmaceutical rep, except they were products that physicians could retail rather than prescribe. So I did that for a few years, and then I got recruited away by another skin company to be a trainer for them. And I trained physicians and providers on how to perform chemical peels and do dermaplaning and different types of treatments. And then I went into my own consulting, and I started teaching physicians how to incorporate med spas into their practice, and spas how to add a med spa component. Because this was, you know, maybe around 17, 18 years ago when doctors were just starting to get into um, working with estheticians and wanting to have this quote med spa concept. Which again, 18 years ago is very different than than the way the industry looks today. But I did that for a while, and then I got recruited. My company in Switzerland to um, develop some skincare products for them, um, write their US manual, write their US protocols. So I did that. And then they asked me to go to Asia and spend a lot of time there doing um, training for their clients in Asia. So the Swiss product line was a very famous line in Hong Kong and Taiwan and Malaysia. So I did that for a while. And then I worked in Canada for a while. And then and then all during that time, I had been planning on opening my own business. So for about two years while I was doing that, I was looking for a loan, money, funding. Um, I moved from Miami, which is where we met when we were going to school when we were younger.
0: Well, I let's talk Miami. a little bit about that. What age do we meet?
1: Oh, um, <laughs> well, I guess like 10th grade, right? We were in
0: 10th um, grade. So would yes, we have been we were. like... I think we were, four, we were 15. Yeah, 15. 15. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, 15. we thought we were so grown.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I brought Anna I to this... What happened? And now you have a 15-year-old. Yeah, I have a 15-year-old now. I do. And one of the things that I've always loved about Anna is she's always been someone that goes... This is something we've always had in common. We always go for what we want whether people see it, it's like too crazy, we go for it. And I remember being in her home when she lived in Hollywood, Florida. And oh she would tell me, I'm going to have my own spa. Oh my. I'm going to make it to have my own When I go, and I know you will, remember? And I think mm-hmm. you were working with that company that you were consulting for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. How, did, how, did, how did you put it all together? Because, you know, most people that are in a business, I think one of the biggest challenges is the, the funds, the backing mm-hmm. of the funds. How did you overcome that?
1: Well, I, I don't think I ever really did to the degree that I probably should have. It would have been, my life would have probably been a lot easier and things would have exponentially happened quicker for me had I had had um, more cash reserve when I opened. So when I finished my consulting for that company, um, Again, while that was going on, I was coming back and forth and I was looking for funding. I was looking for a bank to give me a loan. I had some money saved because, um, like I said, I moved from, from well, at that time I was living in Hollywood Beach. We met in Miami, but I was living in Hollywood Beach. I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina to open my business because at the time my ex-husband's family lived here and we would come visit. They had, they had moved from New York. They were transferred with um, Research Triangle Park to work at IBM in the triangle out of, from originally New York city. And I'd never really heard much about North Carolina. I knew nothing about Raleigh, but I would visit them. And um, I, I really, I really liked it. And I knew I didn't really want to be in Florida forever. Um, I didn't always feel like I a hundred percent fit in to that culture. So um, I, I wanted to move and I thought, you know what? I did research a lot of research on, because we were young, like we could go anywhere, we don't have to start a business, right? And I think that's a mistake some people make too, is that they're like, like a restaurant owner, all talking like, oh, why'd you decide on this location? Oh, well, it's convenient, it's near my house. And it's like, well, if that's not an area that is in demand for that product, you shouldn't open a business based on what's convenient from where you live. You, I mean, you need to think more broad than that. But anyway, I digress. So I moved to a whole nother state, a whole nother city opened up my business, but it took me about a year to find a bank that would actually loan me money. So how many banks did you go through before they said, yes, I I probably tried like, and I actually ended up not getting my loan through a traditional bank, but I ended up probably going to like at least five various banks, you know, big names, BB&T, Wells Fargo, um, First Citizens, um, PNC, like really big banks and some small banks too, because sometimes smaller banks are more small business friendly. Mm -hmm, But I I sold my house in Miami, bought a smaller house in in Raleigh. And at the time the Raleigh market was less expensive. So, you know, I probably had $50,000 from the sale of the house. And then Mm -hmm. for those two years that I was working and traveling a lot, Um, overseas I was able to save a lot of money too so when I was going to the banks it wasn't so much that I couldn't put some money down towards what they were giving it's just I was young I had not had a business before um, you know my credit was probably just so-so on and on and on but the one thing I yeah the one thing I had really going for me was that I had written this like crazy i mean it must have been like 200 pages business plan and i you know i i'm not gonna lie like i found it's um at the time this is a long time ago. And this is how long ago this is like you'd have to do it on a cd like a cd rom but mm-hmm. you would buy this CD rom and it would have like a template on it for you to build um an sba plan So, um, when I would go to the banks, I would show them my business plan and they're like really impressed. And then I think one person just finally took pity on me and was like, you know, you really should go to this place called diamond financial. They do small business lending straight through the SBA. And, um, I really wasn't super familiar with the SBA and how that all worked. So I went there and, you know, I had my business plan. I had my plans. I knew what the fill out was going to cost. Or so I thought, and I got a loan. I got an SBA loan, and I had to put down 20% of what they were willing to lend. I had to show that in cash, and they hold on to it. And then I spent the next five years paying off an SBA loan. And that's so, how I got my money.
0: So, you bet one of the things that I mentioned to people when I coach people for six figures is I ask them, and it's really interesting, but I ask them, Do you have a business plan? And most people, Anna, don't. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, if you're going to be an independent contractor, one of the things that you said, and we are doing this very organically because, you know, we didn't set up what we're going to talk about because it's a very Mm -hmm. intuitive show (laughs) to go along (laughs) with what I believe in. It's interesting that you talk about that you had a 200-page business plan, that you did Mm -hmm. your research, you did your, your due diligence, And Mm -hmm. you went after it, you didn't quit, Mm -hmm. but you always had this vision of what you wanted to create. Mm -hmm. So when you got this loan, from there, how did your life shift that you were in Raleigh,
1: North Carolina, and
0: you got this loan?
1: Well, it was kind of a disaster. (laughs) It was kind of a (laughs) disaster because, you know, I, I... Okay, so it's really interesting. You said it was a
0: disaster. What did you mean when you say it was a disaster? Can you give me, can you give on that? Because everybody, everybody for some reason thinks that when they start a business, it's just a smooth sailing. So let us know why it was a disaster and how you overcame that and are where you are right
1: now. Well, the biggest thing is I underestimated how much money we would need you know, and I think that's one of the biggest things for most people starting a business is they're undercapitalized. And while I was really appreciative to get the money from the SBA, they don't really give you a lot of guidance as far as looking at your business plan and saying, you know, you didn't budget enough for this or you're needing more for that. So, um, so that was definitely challenging, not having, the amount of money that we probably would have liked to have had. I mean, like when we first opened our doors, we probably had like $20,000 in our bank account. And, you know, we obviously figured out how to make it happen, but it just being undercapitalized in the very beginning can just take it a lot longer for you to get to where you need to be because you can't do everything. You're bootstrapping. So you can't do everything really to the level that you want to do it and be competitive against people that maybe have already been open and are more established, at least when you're opening a brick and mortar type of business.
0: Right, right. But even, even even when you're working as a realtor and you're starting off in this business, you know, a lot of people start in this business without having any, you know, savings and think that they're going to make six figures or seven figures right off the bat. And they don't oh, understand yeah. that they have to have a business plan. They got to have a marketing plan. They've got to... Mo-
1: invest money to make
0: money that's just exactly the way it goes,
1: and have right? and have money to live off of i mean i don't think you know like our first full year in business oh we did like maybe 1.2 million and i think i got to i paid myself maybe maybe twenty thousand hmm. dollars
0: yeah you had to reinvest so, it back into the business
1: yeah and i mean it, it's you know I would say for every million more we made, I maybe paid myself 10,000 more until we hit the tipping point where, you know, we were, I would say once we were above 5 million is when things got more comfortable, but that took, you know, almost eight years and we had to, um, expand in order to be able to generate that amount of revenue. And then once we um, did that first expansion, and we we were bringing in, you know, around five million. The next that was about year eight. I was I was there when
0: you were doing that expansion. I went to uh, remember for that event for the Mm -hmm. social media. Mm -hmm. I went to that social media conference over there in Raleigh. That's right. Yeah, and we were expanding. You were expanding, and I knew it, and I knew that that was the the way that you had to go.
1: If you yeah. wanted to hit those numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And we've expanded and renovated that location several times since then. And we opened up a second location five years ago that we put a plastic surgery practice in part of it. And then last year we expanded that to, we were, so we were originally like five, 6,000 square feet for the spa med spa and 4,000 square feet across the hall for the plastic surgery center. And then last year, we expanded and doubled the plastic surgery side to include our training center and our laser center. So now our second location has 13,000 square feet. And our original location that was 2,400 square feet is now um, just around 5,500 square feet. So we went from, you know, like our, so the first eight years were very slow. Now, I would say first eight, the first five were hard. You know, everyone says like, oh, if you can make it past two years, I think that depends what type of business it is. Um, right. For us, it was definitely, I think after two years, I was like, okay, I can make it. But I started to myself, is this what it's always going to be like? Because this sucks,
0: <laughs> you know? But you, and- <laughs> but you had that vision and you had patience. I remember you gave me a book when I was doing my business, uh, The E-Myth that that was like a book that had you evolve also and getting a staff and getting people, you know, you weren't doing it all because you like to be very Mm hands-on. Was that a book that helped you with expansion?
1: Um, No, I think it helped me with the mentality of you can't, you can't work the business and run the business at the same time. I mean, you can, but it's going to take you a lot longer to get to where you want to be. I think one of the other problems that happens is when you, and again, this may may vary from industry to industry, career to career, but I, I think it's really hard to be the one that's responsible for generating all the revenue and then also in charge of all the other people,
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, in real estate, the way that you do that is the way you expand is by, you know, creating a team because you can't be the one selling. You can't sell ton houses in one day. You can't do 10 showings in one day. That doesn't happen like that. So people have to look at their business with a bird eye. You have to see where am I going to go? How am I going to expand and duplicate my efforts through other people that form part of your team? And that's what you did. So what I was saying, that when you're expanding your business, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you can't do it all. You have to either create a team or trust other people to come in, which is the book you recommended me mm-hmm. to read. You actually gave it to me as a gift, which was mm-hmm. a very valuable gift. And I, and I still have it, by the way,
1: <laughs> how, did you,
0: Depart- how, how did you apply that into your business when you were expanding?
1: Well, not so much when I was, well, more initially when we were first opening, it would have been really easy for me to do hands-on, and I could have generated a lot of revenue for myself. I could have probably paid myself more if I was one of the providers generating revenue. Um, But for me, I wanted to build something bigger than that. I didn't want it to be a business that was built on what my two hands could produce. So I was more vested in developing and training everyone that I was bringing on so that um, I could kind of be more like the conductor rather than someone that was playing in the orchestra itself.
0: Correct. Then, which is what, which is kind of like you were training people to fit the different divisions and di- different
1: departments that you have in your, in your current spa. Exactly. And, and med spa and now plastic surgery center too. Amazing. So um yeah. I mean, with the expansion that, how does that mentality fall into place was probably knowing that we were getting bigger and that I couldn't be in charge of all the day-to-day management leadership oriented um, aspects and started really working on developing people in my organization that could be promoted in management positions. Um, I brought in a couple new positions and made them work really closely with me. We actually, when we were going to open our second location, about six months before we opened, I I went ahead and hired several people and it, it made my payroll go up and I had to pay myself a little bit less during that time. But what I was trying to do was prepare for when we had the second location. I didn't want it to feel like the second location wasn't functioning and operating at the same level. And a lot of times new new second locations can kind of pull the first location down. You see that with restaurants a lot, Um, especially independently owned restaurants, restaurants that are not franchised or corporate. There's a small family, they own one location and they try and open a second location. And the problem with that is they don't have the systems in place for the second location to run like the first one can run because you know if you're a small business and you're you're there every day and you know you have a grasp on what's going on like you can kind of get by without necessarily systems and protocols and policies but when you have a second third fourth location or you have more people working under you you know they don't know how you want things they don't know what what how things are supposed to be unless it's all laid out And I always say, you know, people do what you inspect and I'll expect, and it doesn't mean that you have to micromanage people, but people have to know what your expectations are and what your standard is. And then you have to go back and make sure that that's actually being executed.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, definitely. You were basically coaching your staff. Exactly. You were investing in them so that then they could understand what you required for the value that you were giving to your and you know, to the clients, to the client
1: customers that were coming in to your spa, Yeah. And I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, almost everyone on my management team has been promoted from within the organization. Um, my HR director, she started with me when she was in her early twenties at front desk, my business operations manager started me with, with, she was in her twenties at front desk, my, um, executive assistant started with me at Front Desk. Um, mm-hmm. My Some of my top performers that are on the floor that went back and got licenses and different things, they're some of my top producers. So really my my top people in my organization, you know, a lot of them started with me when we were one location and they were in their 20s and they've really grown with me. They've been with me eight years, 10 years. Most everyone on my management team has been with me at least five years. So you know, and this is an industry that has really high turnover. So I feel really fortunate that they they enjoy the environment and want to still be a part of the team. And they've been really amazing during this time of of uncertainty and in, in reminding me to believe in myself and to believe in my vision and that they support me and that they know that we'll get through this. So that's been really encouraging, having people that um, are willing to cheer you on in, in difficult times. No, that's when you know when people
0: are real in difficult. Exactly, times. because people yeah. like to be there when it's all good. It's when there's difficult mm-hmm. times that you really see people's personalities and who
1: they really are. That's when you really know people. And I have a lot of friends in the, same, in, the in my industry, and you know, they're talking about how their staff is. At, they're like, well, you, you know, you got to lay me off. I'm an employee now, so I'm I'm not coming in. I'm not working, or I'm not doing whatever, whatever. And I was like, God, I just don't have that with my team. Like, that's just not that's just not their mentality, and then I realized, well, it's just not the culture that we've created in our organization, you know, we're all very, like, we're all in this together, what do we need to do to help you, how can we help one another get through this, and, you know, we've gone through some rough times as an organization, we had someone we really liked not that long ago commit suicide, and that was really hard for the team, you know, to, like, work through that, and, I had to transition out my surgeon that's been with us for six years and bring in another one. And that was really, really difficult. Um, And then we just, we just have now gone through this pandemic as a nation, a country, a a world together. So, you know, we've been through a lot together, my team and I, and I just feel really fortunate that I, I have the team that I do.
0: Well, that's why I actually, you know, I'm going to read after I'm done interviewing you. I read chapter seven which is mind, body, and soul. Because you're someone that all your life, since we've been 15, we've always worked. We we, we met because we were in school. We were dancers. And we kept on our relationship even after we graduated from high school. And here we are at 40, 45, turning 46. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I've seen you develop your success. But one of the things is that you've always been a kind-hearted person. You've always been that person and I know that when you work with people, you give them that one hundred percent. Anna gives a thousand percent. That's the person you've always been. And I feel that your well, team has you. given that back to you as well.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I I just think that again, the thing that's really unique about this industry is it's very much until you get to a certain level, it's very female dominated. I'm sure you can imagine, you know, 60 plus women all, all working together. Um, you know, it's the beauty industry. So there's a bit of vanity sometimes in it. And so it, it's not, it's not um, unfathomable that the industry would be thought of to maybe be a little bit snobbish or diva-ish or intimidating. And we really try to create an environment where everyone is welcome, you know, all body types, skin types. All, all races, genders, everybody is welcome at Synergy. And from our, our patients and our clients to our team, a very diverse group of people that work here and we try to be really, really, really inclusive. And so what also comes along with that is I have like a zero drama policy. And one of the things that I'm really proud about is when we do exit interviews with people, one of the things that they say is that, You know, they can't believe how little drama there is in our organization, considering the fact that this industry is known for women, drama, divas, attitudes, cutthroat, we have none of that in my company.
0: That's, that's just perfect. That's why it's working. Because you've cut out that negativity. Mm -hmm. And you focus on what's really important. Exactly. And that's
1: why it's called synergy. Yeah, exactly. You know what actually that's kind of one of the reasons why it is because that was something that was really important to me when I was working not on the business plan from the financial aspect but just sort of on the philosophical like who do we want to be what do we want it to feel like for our, our patrons what do we want it to feel like for our clients for our for our staff for our team how do we want to be known like what's the heart of our organization what is the culture of our company and so that was something that I knew from the get-go. I really did not want to have... Um, I didn't want anyone to ever walk in and sense there was an attitude or an air about us. And I think the fact that we aren't pretentious and we don't have that attitude or air about us, that that translates back down to the way the team treats each other as well. I, well, your words of
0: advice to anybody that's starting... Because anybody that's listening to podcasts can be a realtor, I can be you know, maybe even a buyer that just, you know, wanted to listen to a seller. What words of advice can you leave to someone that is going through this process right now? Because this is a worldwide situation that we're all living and we're all shifting. What are the few words that you want to leave to give advice? What would they be?
1: Hard times pass. You know, I know it's hard to believe that in, in the moment of the hard time, but, you know, if you, if you live long enough, if we all live long enough, we're fortunate enough to see hard times, right? Like there's a blessing and a curse in everything. So there are lessons to be learned in how we treat each other, how we treat ourselves, how we treat our environment in a pandemic. I mean, I think. I've seen, you know, you and I, I remember 9-11, you know, I remember um, thinking that the whole world was coming to an end. I remember when I just opened my business and a few short years later, when I was still struggling, the real estate market crashed and then all of our financial institutions crashed and we had um, an economic huge devastation. And I and I thought, oh my God, that's it! Like I'm going to go out of business. So, you know, now here I am, many years later with this pandemic. And, you know, I would say one thing is hold on to your cash reserve. You know, be, don't pay things you don't need to pay. Hold off. Hold on to your money. Money is going to be really important during this time. Um, and just know that there's been devastation all throughout our history. And we always rebound, we always get past it, we always get through it. And, you know, how you persevere, the way that you lead your team, the way that you lead your life during this time is a really defining moment. And you have the choice about how you want to be seen by others
0: in the way that you
1: behave during this time.
0: I think that's just beautiful what you said. And definitely we're in this together. We've been friends for over, I don't know how long we were asking. We're doing the numbers over 30 years, over 30 years. And it's been a beautiful friendship and I've seen you prosper and I've seen you reach heights that we talked about. We only dreamed about. And thank you for being my guest today. Much success. Thank you for being an empowered, empowered woman and a beautiful soul that I connected.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I love you. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Stay safe. You too.
0: Now that you've listened to this podcast today that we talked about business planning, challenges, recessions, taking your business to the next level and scaling it you need to take action. So I propose to you when Anna started her business in her interview, she never really seeked out like coaching. And she mentions in this interview much information that, you know, the SBA didn't provide that coaching. This is why I've always seek coaching when I'm doing a project that I'm investing so much money in. Even when I wrote my book, I seeked out coaching. Anytime I'm taking my business, whether it's your beginning or you're just any phase in your life, you should have a coach, a mentor to guide you, to make sure that you can proof your plan. And I see so many times that people have these amazing ideas with their businesses. And a lot of them go through so many challenges just because they learn trial and error by not having that coach or mentor that helped them out. So I'm gonna challenge you to write out your plan. I do ISP, Six Figure Coaching, whether you're a realtor, whether whatever business you're in, and I challenge you to go ahead And in my Instagram page, I have a link or on Facebook as well, and you can ask for your free 30-minute session so we can just kind of review and set some intentions so you can get your business scaled or your business started and move forward. I wish you much success, and I hope that this podcast keeps bringing you success and helps you think outside the box. in chapter two which is my story I became what I wish I found I have a quote that says listening to your instincts while being the easiest can also be the hardest thing to do by Tina Desai and there's an illustration if you look at the actual book and you can get the book by the way Download it for free if you click on the links that I have provided for you or just send me a message and I'll send you a link so you can get the book for free. If not, you can buy it at Amazon and it says there's a door and it says that's impossible and then there's me in the picture, right? And then I have like an angel on the bat, the you know, the devil and then the angel on one side and there's like a conversation dialogue going going on as far as my ideas. But then the picture, the actual illustrator put a heart and it says, trust me, you got this. And there's always that point where you're. Back and forth in a mental conversation with yourself. Okay, this is not the right thing to do, but it's not going to work out because it's not practical. And then the other part is like cheerleading, you know, your angel side is saying you can do it and yeah, but you really have to have this desire that comes from your heart in order for things to take place. So enjoy chapter two. Chapter two. I became what I wish I found. How does it all unfold? Is it a moment of clarity or when you see yourself saying, it's either I sink or swim? This is my story. I believe that many hide behind their ego. Our ego is there to protect us and serve as a thermometer. Vulnerability can be seen to some people as weakness, however, it's where our growth takes place. How did I come up with a system that was so amazing? Well, it all began when I lost a deal that left me in financial hardship. I knew I had to make a move quickly or I would lose my sanity. I made the decision to apply for a job and yes, I considered I had failed. When you're a realtor, you know what that means. It felt like I was giving up and surrendering to failure. Again, perspective, is in the eye of the beholder what I thought to be failure turned out to be my blessing I had put my family stability in harm's way and knew that I had to make it right take your pain and make it your motivation I was hired to work for a developer which meant I could only sell for the developer my first day was fine however I broke down and wanted to quit my second day I was discouraged as the environment was not what I was used to working. It was a different market and there was no structure as I had to create my own leads. And it was a dead as a cemetery. I was left to figure it out on my own. You can say it was no place for the week. I called my sister crying saying, "Barbara, I can't do this. This is not for me. You know that go-to person we all have? Well, my sister is that go-to person. She's my Jiminy Cricket conscience. She's my support system. Mind you, my sister lives in another city two hours away and jumped in a car and started driving my way. In the meantime, I was at work and thinking to myself, how could this happen to me? You see, many people have the impression that when you work for a developer, you don't have to worry about leads to make sales. Well, in this case, my job description required me to make sales and get leads. That night after work, my sister surprised me by driving down to visit me and took me off for my favorite dinner, sushi. After a second day of work, I felt like a deer caught in headlights. To be honest, seeing my sister was a sigh of relief, and sushi always gets me in a better mood. <laughs> she always served as my comfort zone. At dinner, she said, B. You're gonna do great. I know it's hard, but if anyone can do it, it's you. Let me just say, she's my biggest cheerleader and I appreciate her loving support. Lose yourself. After dinner, I made the second biggest decision and make this opportunity work. I was in a state of appreciation and grateful that I was hired. I was given a chance to recover from a big financial hit in my career and I was going to make it work. It's like the song from Eminem my son loves, Lose Yourself. The lyrics say if you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, would you capture it? This was my opportunity and I was determined to make it and not lose this chance. I didn't know exactly how but trusted that I would find the way to succeed. That night, I got home late and my son was sleeping. I went to his room and gave him a kiss in his forehead. Right then at that moment, my motivational love tank filled up and I said to myself, I got this bee. I knew it was the right time and job to make magic happen because failure was not an option. I was like you right now, in a space where I was open to shift. I took my pain and made it my motivation. I just need to find a way to attract buyers to make sales. The location I was had no traffic and I could not lose my job. Failure wasn't an option at that point as I had too much to risk and was determined to recover and succeed. My husband told me that night, babe, you can do this, I know you can. So I did. You see, my gift comes from a space of authenticity and truth. Many that don't know me think I'm what I call in our industry a natural closer. I let people think whatever makes them feel happy. What I know is that each sale I make, I always connect with the buyer at a soul level. I connect with it myself to help buyers reach their goal. This is where the magic happens and deals come together. I decided to work and reach out to the community of realtors in my local area, outlining the value of great product that I had to sell. I chose to see what others were choosing not to look at, value. I took that and ran with inspiration and went to work. Hi-ho, hi-ho, and off to work I go, just like one of the seven dwarves. As soon as I put my plan into action, the magic began to happen. I created events make calls, and even do what I had to do to get people in the door. I'm not gonna lie, I had many obstacles to overcome, but I had my eye on the prize. My prize was to make money and get my family financially back on track, and I did. Raise the bar. I sat down with my manager after being there for a month and mentioned what I was going to start producing in sales. The night before, I'd written down my goals and how much money I really needed to earn to hit my financial goals. I always embraced the opportunity and use it as a mold to craft my art of selling homes. When I shared my goals, my manager looked at me like I was crazy. Not only did she think I was crazy, but my sister said to me, B, you need to set realistic goals. Don't set yourself up for failure. At that moment, I was driving and I took a deep breath and said, I don't care what others say, I can do it. Even though my Jiminy Cricket said it was impossible, I trusted myself and the process. The plan was to help realtors in their business and create a funnel where they attracted buyer leads. I would help them close a sale, and voila, we made sales together. I work with many realtors and help them succeed. The law of prosperity dictates that effect of helping others will guarantee your prosperity. I would succeed by default, and as a result, make an abundant amount of sales. I needed to bring back financial security to my family, and my plan has worked. I'm grateful that God uses me as an instrument to help others. The marketing plans are downloads I receive from the divine. I'm just a filter. Desire. All you need to do is devour your inner desire. Oh, it's such a sweet spot. It feels like a piece of heaven, an inner peace that whispers inside your quiet mind. You can do this. Just do it. No matter what others say, you must be willing to follow your heart's desire. Moments like when you pick up this book, you launch rocket of desires. If you desire to make six figures selling homes, then follow your intelligent intuition. Keep reading. Know that you can do it and make it happen. It's my personal experience and I wish I had found a coach that would have given me the formula to succeed and held my hand. Life had me go through this experience so I could help make a difference in your life. I became what I wish I found. In other words, All you need to do is follow this guide and you too can enjoy prosperity like so many I have helped along the way. Army of Realtors I started working with so many realtors and helped them take their business to another level. Word got out and I was flooded with calls from brokers and the realtors who wanted to work with me so I could coach them in their business. In return, They would send me their buyers who wanted to purchase new construction. Many of them appreciated the fact that I wanted to see them prosper. I was asked by many, why are you helping me? I replied, because in exchange, I automatically prosper. I've learned that serving others brings prosperity, not just financial rewards, but a deep, satisfying calling from above. When I see a realtor I've helped make more sales and income, it's rewarding to know that their families are benefiting and prospering. I worked seven days a week. Even though I was only required to work five, I wanted to make a difference and never wanted to turn anyone away. As a result, I created an army of realtors who were loyal and consistently bringing me the buyer leads they received by using the techniques I taught them. In this process, everlasting great relationships were created. After reading my story, I hope you feel encouraged. Understand that only you have the power to turn adversity into your own strength. Through all my challenges, I gave birth to the intuitive selling process. By helping others, we prosper and find purpose. Bibi Bengo Chea, taking the listing. I've learned that when you help others, you will find purpose. In this business, it's easy to lose sight of what really matters. When you're working with buyers, sellers, or investors, it's important to keep your client's best interest at all times. Don't let your personal financial goals or ego blindside you. To become egocentric and greedy can ruin long-term business relationships that can lead to long-term financial loss and won't benefit you. This can happen at any given transaction and any given time. You can feel tempted to want to double dip and create a dual agency. What's a dual agency? A dual agency means that the listing broker represents both the seller and the buyer on the same real estate transaction. A dual agent, sometimes referred to as a transactional broker, must not disclose confidential information to either party and must operate in a hands-off manner. One realtor would be earning the full commission on the sale of the property. A seller hired me to sell their home because after reviewing several realtors felt I would would do the job done right. When I took the listing, I set expectations of what to expect and the market strategy I would be applying to the listing. I love to create a bidding war. And when I get a listing, as I am an expert in digital marketing. Breaking down a bidding war and create the hype. What is a bidding war? A bidding war refers to a circumstance in which two or more prospective buyers of a property compete for ownership through incrementally increasing bids. A bidding war occurs when potential buyers of the property compete for ownership through a series of increasing price bids. This situation allows a seller to get most value for their property. The final price of the property can even sometimes push the price up past the original value listed for the property. Bidding wars commonly occur when buyers view for ownership of a house, a building or a business in a particularly desirable location, and especially in the midst of a seller's market. Similar to an auction, a bidding war often happens like a wildfire. During the bidding war, potential buyers are vulnerable to making rash or emotional investment decisions. The listing did so well that multiple offers were received and one of the offers was a buyer of mine. As realtors, it's our ethical duty to present all offers to sellers. In this listing, I also added the security blanket by requiring the buyers to get pre-qualified with a preferred lender. These terms were placed to make sure that the financing of the buyer would be possible. After the preferred lender would approve buyer, did have a choice to go with the lender of their choosing. Having a preferred lender review buyer's financial gives the transaction a better chance of closing. When there's financing involved, always make sure you cross your T's and dot my I's. Make sure you're always bringing value to the table and making the transaction a viable financing option. Presenting offer to seller. Bidding wars create a momentum of multiple offers. The key to creating multiple offers is pricing the the listing right. When I presented all offers to the seller, we discussed which offer was best to accept. If the seller accepted my offer, I would be double dipping, which would mean I make 6% on the listing. My ego for one minute imagined earning 6% commission. Remember that our egos will always justify a wrongful doing as it is there to protect us, fight or flight. In my heart, step four in the ISP, I meditated. What would be best for the seller? My professional intuitive self knew that the other Realtor's offer was best to accept. Therefore, I told the seller to accept the other Realtor's offer. The seller at this point knew that I had their best interests. My actions and professionalism earned the respect of the seller and the realtor. Many times in this business, you will see that the listing agent double dips and may I only be looking out for their best interest or using your offer for leverage. The realtor who offers accepted ended up doing several other transactions with me. We currently still do business together and respect each other. Creating value in relationships and honoring colleagues is essential. Keep it real. In my career, I always thrive to making the best outcome to benefit their transaction. The same goes for helping realtors succeed in their career. I've trained and helped many realtors earn six figures, sharing techniques and helping them apply ISP. I have also been successful in creating systems that create a flow with marketing. The experience I have over 20 years serves as values when I'm coaching. My ideas have helped others generate lots of money. As everything in life, systems must evolve and change. Keep it real in business and always appreciate those who have helped you in transactions. When I started working with realtors and helped them with digital marketing, I love to see them prosper in their career. Many did not advertise on social media or even go live. I helped the agents break Break setup and campaign strategies, CRMs, and much more, helping them grow and face their fears of being public. The beautiful part is to witness how each of them grew and became more comfortable with themselves. Usually, the end of the year, around October, realtors slow down in their sales. I started a program called 90 Days, the best is yet to come for realtors. This program was a culprit to giving birth to this book and the workshops I currently teach at the Board of Realtors. In the program, I had each of the Realtors commit in writing by signing a contract that listed their intentions in their real estate career. The idea is clear. Instead of slowing down on the fourth quarter of the year, how about you start your first quarter in your business? Think outside the box and end the year strong so you can start the year strong. It's very common for realtors to slow down at the end of the year due to the holidays. However, I believe that this can impact your real estate business in a negative way. The smartest way is to create sales in the fourth quarter of the year. This way, you're destined to have success and start the year in January with scheduled closings. The average realtor starts the year off slow and closes their first sales in March or April. It's always best to have pending sales in October, November, and December, the last quarter of the year. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, bbbengocheya. In my link bio, you will find links to get a copy of my free book and all the social medias so you can stay connected to me and upcoming events. Also, in this episode's description box, you'll have details and links for the guest information. Don't forget to subscribe to podcasts. Rate and make sure if you really enjoyed this episode, review and comment.